Anybody excited about tonight? The Mark of the Beast. How many saw that topic a few days ago and thought, all right, this is now we're, now we're talking. All right. Well, Tuesday night, we talked about Babylon Rising. Remember, we talked about that sea beast. We identified the sea beast. Pretty clear in the Bible, amen? Pretty clear with history. We put secular history together with the Bible and identified who that sea beast was to go along with the earth beast, the United States, who down at the end of time is going to force God's people to make a choice. So tonight we're going to talk about the mark of the beast, which is the next step in this discussion. We're going to unfold Revelation. We're going to unlock Revelation and talk about this mark of the beast concept that is so misunderstood in Christianity. About At two minutes past three in the morning of August 17th, 1999, a huge earthquake rocked the nation of Turkey. It was a colossal tragedy. Official death tolls placed the numbers between 15,000 and 18,000 people died. Some say it could have been as many as 45,000. There were tales of sadness and heartbreak everywhere. One family from Atlanta, Georgia, was in Turkey visiting family at that time. Sadly, they lost four of their children, age six, five, two, and seven months. In the earthquake, they also lost their paternal grandfather. Think about the heartbreak in that family alone. Across the Sea of Marmara from Istanbul is the resort city of Yalova. The wealthiest and most prominent man in Yalova was a building contractor. Yet after the earthquake, he was regarded not as a pillar of society, but as a pariah. He was viewed as a criminal. Recovery experts, when they were sifting through the ruins after the earthquake, they found that the concrete that he used in construction of many of the buildings would actually crumble in their hands. It was also discovered that the reinforcing rods in many of the buildings was thinner and weaker than the building code said they should be. Builders, our friend included, had cut corners, tried to save money, tried to speed the job up. And there was no real inspection system in place there. So they were free to do whatever they wanted. They were free to flout the building codes, saving money and thus imperiling lives. Now, nobody living in those buildings knew their buildings weren't up to code. They didn't have a clue. The buildings looked okay on the outside, even on the inside. To them, right? It wasn't until the ground shook that it was revealed that the buildings weren't built to withstand pressure. Officials say that many of those lost lives would have been saved if those buildings would have just been constructed properly. I want to tell you tonight that our planet is heading for a similar calamity. One day, everything on earth is going to be shaken. But not by an earthquake, but shaken by the mark of the beast. And when that happens, we will see what our spiritual houses are made of. We'll see how strong our foundations really are. The mark of the beast represents a great culmination of that age-old battle between good and evil. That great controversy that we've talked about in in every message. It it began long ago in that rebellion in heaven, right? Satan, when he rebelled against God's government. Satan coveted the place of Christ himself. And he said in his heart, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to sit on God's throne. 
He wanted worship. And when the drama of the ages is brought to a close, it will be brought to a close over an issue of who have you chosen to worship? The question will be, which side have we chosen? You see, when Jesus returns, there will be two groups of people. One will have made the necessary preparation to meet Jesus. And they will be excited at his coming. They will have built their spiritual homes on his rock. But the others will have built theirs on sand. And when the final storms come to their spiritual houses, they will not be able to stand. They will crumble like that concrete. Those two groups are described in the Bible as those who are on God's right hand and those who are on his left hand. They're described as the wheat and the tares. They're described as the sheep and the goats. And Revelation describes them as those who have received the seal of the living God and those who have received the mark of the beast. That's going to be the the distinguishing factor in the two. Who's received God's seal and who's received the mark of the beast? Turn me to Revelation chapter 14, page 1184. We've been here several times. This should be very familiar by now. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. That third angel's message, right, was on a question one of the nights. God's final gospel message to the world says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So it's talking about the wrath of God. Remember I talked about that Tuesday night. It says, those who worship the beast cannot be saved. That's what this message is. Friends, it's that serious. And it's that black and white. This is the most solemn warning message in all of Scripture. Which side will you choose? And then there's consequences for either decision. Now, I know today there's many confused ideas about what constitutes the mark of the beast. Some say the mark of the beast is going to be that laser tattoo. Or it's going to be a barcode. How many have heard that? I have. Others say it's going to be a silicone chip implanted underneath the skin of the lost person. It's also been said that the mark of the beast is a cashless society. But we have to keep in mind that there's a world of difference between the mark of the beast and how the mark of the beast is going to be enforced. Remember I talked about that a few sessions ago. Those who refuse to take the mark of the beast will be prevented from buying and selling. That prohibition is a coercive message. It's brought with force. If you don't take this, you can't buy or sell. Now that not being able to buy and sell is not the mark. It's a method of coercing you into accepting the mark. And that's a key point. All of those things that we mentioned are could be mechanisms to force you to accept the mark. They could use a chip. They could use a tattoo. They could use a barcode. They could use electronic transfer. But that's not the mark. That's how they're going to get you to accept the mark. Now, let's be clear. The Bible doesn't tell us what this coercive 
mechanism is going to end up being. It doesn't tell us how we're going to be forced. But we can surmise, we can surmise, but we can't be for sure. Friends, the devil has taken great delight in confusing this very topic. But simply put, the mark of the beast is going to answer the question, who will have your heart? That's the answer. In fact, the devil wants you to be worried about the wrong thing. He wants you to worry about those mechanisms. He wants you to worry about that key fob that you get, or that tattoo, or that barcode, or your ATM card. He wants you to, that's what he wants you worrying about. Because if you're worrying about those things, you're not focusing on truth. You're not focusing on the real details. You're distracted. Remember, he's the master of deception. Now, we've already studied the identity of the beast in question. We studied that Tuesday night, amen? We found that in Bible prophecy, a beast is a symbol that represents a kingdom or a nation. And the nation spoken of in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 is the Vatican City or the Roman Catholic Papacy. It's a religious and political power which not only ruled much of the world for centuries, but which is still a hugely influential power today. That's not disputed, right? Tremendous power today. We mustn't mistake the thinking of the mark of the beast as 666. I actually... And how many people have said, well, that's 666, and run away from that number? I mean, I heard a story not too long ago that somebody refused to get a license plate because it had 666 on it. I had a friend that I grew up with, they went to, and then they transferred to a Christian school. Their address was 666. They went through the legal process to change their address to 668. Live on the same street that I live on today. It's a true story. Turn me to Revelation chapter 13, page 1183. Just one chapter back, verse 18. It's the last verse of this chapter. Yeah, last verse of this uh, chapter. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I said, wait a minute, Dan, you just said 666. Notice the number isn't 666. The number is actually 666. And this is important. Many people separate those numbers out, but that's not how that number is read. That number is read 666. Now, there have been many attempts to understand this number. But what we do know for certain is it's associated with Vatican, right? It's associated with that sea beast. Over the centuries, many official titles have been applied to the popes of Rome. One of them is vicarious filet Dei, or vicar of the Son of God. That means one who stands in the place of God. It's a Latin title. Now, Latin is the official language of the Roman church. And you already know that Latin letters have a numerical value. We've all heard the Roman numerals. We've probably studied them in school. Where X equals 10, V equals 5. C equals 100, right? So when we look at this name, here's what we find. Vicarious has a value. Its numerical value is 112. Philae equals 53. And day, or God, adds up to 501. When you add them all together, you get 666. 
Now, on its own, you might say, well, Dan, that's not that important. You might say, well, maybe my name adds up to 666. And it might. But when taken together with all the identifying characteristics that we went through Tuesday night, it starts to make it, it starts to make sense. It starts to matter. Pretty soon they stop being coincidences, right? It's yet another indication that the Vatican occupies a significant prophetic place in the end of time. The book of Revelation makes it clear that this entity is going to receive worship down in the end of time. And this is the issue around which the end time prophecy coalesces. Worship. Who will have your allegiance? Who will be your master? Who will you follow? That's the question at the end of time. It's always been the question, but it's going to culminate at the end with that very decision. And while the beast is going to look to mark its followers, the Lord is going to do the same thing. Stick in Revelation chapter 13, but let's back up. Revelation 13, now we're going to read verses 4 through 9. I'm sorry, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Oh, I'm, in, I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 12. That's a good story too. And I saw one of his heads as it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now we've talked about this in multiple nights, right? It's describing that sea beast and the power, and all the world's going to marvel after this beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now let's go to verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the land slain from the foundation of the world. Notice the references throughout this to worship. It's the theme here. All on the earth will worship the dragon if they are not followers of Christ. This scripture is telling us, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're going to worship this beast, and you're going to worship the dragon. Now turn me to Revelation chapter 7. Page 1179. Revelation chapter 7, verse 3. Revelation 7, verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth, the seas, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So what this is saying is God will not bring down the wrath of God until God's people are sealed. He's going to hold back the winds of strife, the winds of of destruction until his people are sealed. God is going to put his seal on the forehead of his saints. He said, well, why the forehead, Dan? Well, remember, behind your forehead is your frontal lobe of your brain. That's the part of your brain where you make decisions, where you reason. Think about that, where you make decisions. Decisions for the Lord, decisions for the beast. We could simply call it the mind, the part of our brain that we use to think and make decisions. In other words, those who have decided to give their heart and mind to God will receive the seal of God in their minds. Friends, I want to encourage you tonight. Make your decisions based on the word of God, not on the traditions of men. Make your decisions based on God's will for your life. 
If you would make a decision based on the Bible, then you are standing on solid rock. You are building a solid foundation. God will put the seal, his seal, in the minds of those who have decided for Jesus Christ, who have chosen Jesus' side. Those who come to Christ with open minds, with clear minds and open hearts. Now, in Bible times, a seal was something used to show that a law was valid. When the king passed a law, his seal was placed on that law, showing that it was valid, that it held force, that he was authorizing that law. The seal made the law legitimate and valid. It showed authority. When King Ahab wanted his neighbor's vineyard, Queen Jezebel wrote a law declaring it to be her husband's property. Now, of course, one document means as much as another, right? But what made this document official was that it was sealed with the seal of that monarch. The seal showed the law to be valid. It granted force. It granted authority. So, we would expect God's seal to show that his law is valid too, amen? That's why it says in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my, te- my disciples. God wants his law sealed amongst his followers. He wants that sealed. He wants his authority established. Turn me to Hebrews chapter 8, page 1152. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the seal shows the authority of God, the authority of his law. And that law is placed in the mind of every believer of Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever thought, why is God's law authoritative at all? What gives his law authority? Turn with me back to Revelation, this time Revelation 4. Page 1177. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. says, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. God's authority exists by the very fact that he is the creator. I made all of this. I'm the authority. He's, he's, his authority is established by the very fact of creation. The seal of his law will serve to demonstrate that creatorship. The authority that God has to give to law and to rule it all. The fact that he created establishes the fact that he has the authority to not only establish law, but to rule everything. I made it. I'm in charge. Now, an official seal typically has three common components. Along with the name of the person, it will have that person's title and the territory over which they have authority. In the case of Ahab, it would have said, Ahab, king of Israel. God's seal will be the same. 
It will be found in his law. It will show his authority and it will reference his name, his title, and his dominion. So let's look in God's law and find it. Turn me to Exodus chapter 20. Page 71. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And then verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. So notice it says the Lord. Right? His name. Establishes his name. Yahweh. This is the Lord made. It says God is the creator. And it says he made the heavens and the earth and the sea and that all is in them. Right there you see God's name, the Lord. You see his title. His title is creator. Amen? And then you see his territory of dominion. It shows who he is, his title, and his authority. Turn now with me to Ezekiel chapter 20, page 819. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. See, it's important because God wants you to know that he can remake you as a sinner. From being a sinner to a new creation. Remember what I talked about in that creation or that cremation question. God's saying, I can transform you. I can remake your heart. He's showing you his authority. God says, I will lift you up and that I can make you new and clean. You say, how can God do that? He says, trust me. In the beginning I created. I'm giving you the Sabbath to remember that. He's pointing back to his establishment of being creator. He says, I created all this. I created you. And I can do it again. I can remake you. I can make you better. No matter what kind of a mess you've stumbled into. No matter how big of a hole you've fallen into. When your heart turns to God, he will be there to pick you up. Then he'll clean you up. And then he will remake you as though you've never sinned in the first place. Friends, the Sabbath is a sign for that. It's a sign of the creator and the recreator. It's a memorial to his creation and his creative power. A couple verses later in Ezekiel, now verse 20. It says, Hallow my Sabbath, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The Sabbath day reminds us that our God is the creator God. And that as creator, he has a special authority over our lives. Now some are going to say, Dan, keeping that Sabbath is trying to get to heaven on works. But it's interesting, isn't it? That nobody accuses you of that when you honor your father and mother. Right? Nobody says, because you choose not to kill somebody, you're trying to get in heaven on your works. 
Notice it's only that Sabbath thing that when they throw that out there. Let me tell you the truth. The Sabbath is the ultimate sign of righteousness by faith. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word and expecting the word of God to do what the word of God says it will do. That's faith. Trusting in God and trusting in all of his promises. That's faith. So when God says, remember the Sabbath day, and you say yes to God, you're showing faith. You are surrendering to do things God's way and not your own. You're going God's way and not your way. That's faith. It's not works. You're showing faith in God that you trust his path is the right path. But when you know that God's will for your life, but when you know what God's will is in your life, but you choose a different path, friends, that's no longer faith. Abraham was an old man when God told him that he was going to have a son. We've heard the story, amen? His wife, Sarah, laughed. Well, there's a whole lesson in there that I could spend an hour on. In fact, she chose to help out God by bringing her maid Hagar to Abraham. So Hagar could bear this promised child. Friends, that was not an act of faith. The Lord said, I'll take care of this. And they decided they were going to help him along. Ishmael, the child born, was not the child of promise. When they finally chose to believe God, the Bible says that faith was counted to Abraham for his righteousness. Isaac was the child of promise. Born as a result of faith in God's word and surrender to God's will. When they didn't trust God, but sincerely tried to help God by taking matters in their own hands, friends, that was works, not faith. So when God offers you the blessing of the weekly Sabbath, and you accept that gift, that's faith. Now should you say, Lord, I hear you. And I know that it's the Sabbath. I believe that it's the Sabbath. But then you say, but I'm going to offer you something in place of your Sabbath. Friends, that's not faith. Again, that's works. It's Ishmael, not Isaac. That's going your own way, not God's. The Bible is clear. It's the Sabbath is the seal of God. Jesus himself told us in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man. Or it was made for the human family. Remember the whole mankind discussion I went into on that night when we talked about the Sabbath? The Greek word that, tran- that translates into that is mankind. All of, all of humanity. God created Adam and Eve. And then he gave them the gift of his time. Now think about that. He gave them the world. He gave them all their needs. He gave them this beautiful garden. But was the most important thing in his heart that he gave them was his time. So that every week they could pause. They could set aside their labors. And they could revel in God's love. Amen? That was the greatest gift he, give, he had given them. 
So now that we understand the seal of God, let's get back to the third angel's message. Go back to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, page 1184. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So there's that wrath of God consequence. Now, if we go to verse 12, it says, Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, faith will always be expressed by obedience. God describes his people, the saved, the saints, in the end of time, as keeping the commandments of God and having the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something. In that, in that scripture, it says, the saints do not receive the mark of the beast. And they do keep the commandments of God. So it would seem that those who do receive the mark of the beast do not keep the commandments of God. Amen? I mean, that's logical, Right? Now, let's ask ourselves something about that nation in Revelation 13 that we've been talking about. Has it done anything down through time to negatively impact the commandments of God? Particularly when it comes to worship. The answer is clearly yes. Remember in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, it says, And he shall think to change times and laws. So in looking for the mark of the beast, we are going to be looking for a distinguishing mark or characteristic that shows the authority of this nation. Well, what does the Vatican... We know that's the beast, right? So what does the Vatican say is its mark of authority? One Catholic catechism, page 50, of the Converts Catechism. What, which is the Sabbath day? The answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Pretty short answer, isn't it? Cut right to the chase. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now, let me ask you this. Does any church have the authority to change the law of God? Absolutely not. The answer has to be no. So when it says that the church, the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday, that's what Rome says. Friends, once again, I want to be clear. Those are the papacy's words, not mine. They change the Sabbath because they can. That's what it says. We changed it because we can. They're claiming authority. Cardinal Gibbons, I've, I shared this a couple nights ago. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religions, religious observance of Saturday. Pretty clear statement, Amen. Dr. Carl Keatum in Catholicism and Fundamentalism. Fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday. Yet there is no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or the day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. Well, let me ask you a question. 
Should we remember the resurrection? Absolutely. Amen? But should we change the Sabbath to honor the resurrection? Absolutely not. There's no scriptural support for that. Some years ago, the church newsletter from a local church, this is in Algonac, Michigan, right here in our home state, May 21st, 1995. It's from their newsletter. Now, this isn't an official document released by the papacy. But it's fascinating to see what a local church has to say. It says, perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. Not from any directions noticed in the scripture, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists. Friends, it's not me. This is from a Catholic church's newsletter. Basically, he's saying, if you're going to follow the Bible, if you want to follow the Bible, then you ought to actually follow what the Bible says. And the Bible does not say Sunday is the Sabbath. Instead, it speaks of the Seventh-day Sabbath. C.F. Thomas wrote, these words, October 28, 1895. Of course the church claims that the change was her act. And the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Notice the term, mark. They're words, right? You're saying the change of Sabbath to Sunday is a mark. It's a mark of the church's power. It's authority. Speaking in Vienna, Austria, to a large gathering of people, Pope Benedict XVI says, Sine Domenico non possumus. Without Sunday worship, we cannot live. Think about that. Without Sunday worship, we cannot live. He's saying, we can't live as long as we follow the Bible is basically what he's saying, right? Friends, that goes totally against the word of God. Direct opposition to truth. Turn me to Revelation chapter 13, page 8. Or, I'm sorry, verse 8, page 8. Revelation 13, verse 8. It says, all that dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So we wonder how this could happen. But we see God's eternal sign has been replaced by tradition. It's been replaced by man. The law of God has been usurped by the teachings of a church. God's will is rejected, and man's will is put in its place. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 9, And in vain they worship me, teaching as the doctrines the commandments of men. They, they, what he's saying is they pretend to worship me, but they don't follow what I taught. They don't follow my law. They don't follow my example. They're worshiping me in vain. The logical question is, but how could it be so wrong when so many people are doing it? It's a logical question, right? How can this be wrong when a vast majority of Christianity is doing this? Friends, Jesus is our example. And we say to ourselves, how could they all be wrong? How could these people be all wrong? Well, let me ask you a simple question. 
in the vast numbers, how many people stood with Jesus on the cross? How could they be so wrong? Right? Everybody stood against him. Friends, the crowd, the majority, is usually not right. Think about that. I urge you all to be very cautious when the vast majority is moving in one direction. In fact, I suggest you look the other way. If a vast majority of people are going one way, you might want to stop and look back the other way. Because the majority is usually wrong, especially in spiritual concepts. Remember, I've mentioned this multiple times. A good counterfeit must always closely resemble the truth. It must resemble it closely in order to fool people. Now, this counterfeit isn't something that is harmless in and of itself. Worshiping God is good, amen? But rejecting God's will like Eve did in the Garden of Eden, Eden and replacing it with a substitute isn't consistent with love for God. The wise man wrote in Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What the wise man's telling us is, it seems okay, our ways seem right, feel right, but they lead us to death. Says, man's ways are never better than God's ways. The mark of the beast is very simple. When we accept a change in God's holy moral law and follow what the beast says, rather than surrendering our hearts to God, we receive the sign or the mark of the beast, a mark of that nation's authority in our lives. The Bible Sabbath sees human beings coming into communion with God, remembering who God is and worshiping Him in truth. That's the heart of the Bible Sabbath. The counterfeit Sabbath sees people choosing to do their own will and putting that will above God. Now, I'm sure some of you might think, Dan, it's only a day. It's just a day, right? How important can that be? It's just a day. I want to impress upon you tonight. It's not about a day. It's what that day represents. It's what that day represents. It doesn't matter which day the Lord chose. The reason is he chose it. He said it's this day. It doesn't matter which day he picked. He picked the seventh day. And he knows best. Imagine someone standing on a street corner, reaching into his or her bag. And he takes out a white cloth, throws it on the ground and starts stomping on it in front of, in front of everybody. Are you likely to be offended by that? No. Of course not. After all, it's just a piece of cloth he's standing on. He took it out of his bag, so it's his, right? So then he takes out a red cloth, tosses it on the ground, and starts stomping on that. At this point, you're thinking, this is strange behavior. But it's not offensive. It's just the cloth he's stomping on. Next, he gets some blue cloth. And he gives it the same treatment, stomps on the blue cloth. Again, none of this upsets anyone because there's nothing offensive about someone stomping on a cloth. But the next day, the same individual comes back 
with that cloth. Except he's had it clean. He's had it sewn. And now the red and white material are arranged in 13 horizontal stripes. There's a patch of blue up in the corner. And it has 50 white stars in that patch of blue. Our friend now throws that on the ground. And he stomps all over it. Let me ask you this. Is anybody upset now? (laughs) Absolutely. Which is fascinating. Because you've told me, it's just a cloth that's being stood on, isn't it? Right? We just went through a whole series. It's no big deal. It's just a cloth. But is that actually the case? Is it just a cloth? Trick question. Yes and no. It's cloth all right. But now that cloth represents something. It's the standard of a great nation. And it's something that we all hold dear. Friends, when it comes to the Sabbath... It's not about the day. It's about what it represents. It represents the God who made us, the creator of all things. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, when Isaiah is speaking of the Sabbath, he says, God, he says, please stop trampling on my Sabbath. That's what God's saying. Stop trampling on my day. Get your foot off my Sabbath. Now, isn't that interesting? Lots of people say it's just a day. Clearly the Lord, to the Lord it's not just a day. God says it means something to me. It's important to me. So perhaps you'll come back and say, well, isn't the most important thing simply that God knows I love him? Absolutely that's important. That's the most important thing. Which is why Jesus helped us to understand what love really is. Turn me to John chapter 14, verse 15, page 1043. You say, it's important, Dan, that I just love Jesus. What does Jesus tell us about love? John 14, verse 15. Jesus himself. If you love me, keep my commandments. Pretty simple verse, isn't it? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's telling you what love, what a representation of that love is. What an outpouring of your love for him will reveal. We don't keep the Lord's commandments so he will love us. We keep the commandments because he loves us. And also because we love him. It's an outpouring of that love. It's a demonstration of that love. If you haven't figured it out by now, The mark of the beast is forced worship on Sunday. Legislated by a civil authority. It will be enforced by that second beast, that earth beast. It will be a Sunday law. It will be enforced by secular and religious coercion. Those two powers will come together and it will force you to choose your day of your worship. You either worship on Sunday or you can't buy and sell. So let me ask you a question. Does anybody have the mark of the beast today? Absolutely not. Even though we know what the mark is, nobody will actually receive the mark of the beast until that message goes to the whole world, and then that mark is enforced by law. 
Remember, people are forced to take the mark of the beast. Now you say, well, Dan, there's not going to be no law like that. I'm sure many of you are in the room today can remember Sunday laws. I do. We still have Sunday laws on the books today. But they're not being enforced yet. They're not being, they're not being brought with the force. For many years, there have been influential voices stating their agreement with these kinds of laws. As far back as 1998, Pope John Paul II wrote a 104-page apostolic letter in which he appealed to all Christians all around the world and pastors and church leaders to embrace Sunday as the Sabbath. He said in this letter, Christians will naturally strive to ensure civil legislation respects their duty to keep Sunday holy. He's saying, let's pass laws protecting the sanctity of this day. Laws. Force. He's saying, let's pass a law keeping Sunday holy. Now let me ask you, is there any doubt that we're headed in that direction? Friends, there's no doubt whatsoever. And it will come under the guise of something good. It will not come just with a hammer. It's going to be sold as being good. Perhaps it will be in response to a terrible tragedy. Or simply a result of the continuing decline of morality. We've already heard the terms family day. Day of rest to reconnect with your family. Friends, many people will actually clamor for this. They'll beg for it. They will actually push their civil authorities to do this. They will demand it. Revelation chapter 13, verse 16 and 17 says, And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So those who receive the mark of the beast in their forehead will agree in their minds that this is right. And then they'll, they'll take it in their right hand. And the hand is a symbol of action. We use our hands to do things. Those that take it in their hand might not necessarily agree with in their minds. But they're going to agree to go along. They're going to go along to get along. They're going to say, well, I need to buy and sell. So I don't have enough faith in God that he'll see me through this. I need to bend. Think about that. That's what that is. If you're willing to bend to the force, you're saying God won't deliver me. That's what you're saying. You're brought to decision. These folks that take that mark in their hand, they might not agree with it, but they do it anyway. They receive it in their hands. You know what that means? Now is the time to make decisions to be faithful in Jesus Christ. Now you can choose in a time of peace to be faithful to Jesus. And friends, I know things look bad out there. But we still have freedom and liberty. We still have the opportunity to choose without the force of government, without the force of power coming down on you. 
Now you can say, before the heat is turned up, my life is going to be a life of faithfulness in God's word. So that in the day when the heat is turned up, and the pressure do, does come on you, you will turn and embrace God just like a flower turns to face the noonday sun. John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's go back to the time of Cain and Abel. God asked both of them, Cain and Abel both, to come and worship him. And Abel did. Bring in an animal sacrifice. Cain did not. Bringing instead the fruits of the ground. Now when God has had his exchange with Cain, he didn't bring the hammer down on him, did he? He tried to correct him. He tried to show him the right path. But Cain knew none of it, did he? He got angry. And the Lord even reacts, why are you mad? I'm not punishing you. I'm trying to show you the right way. Why are you mad? Read the story. It's fascinating. A lot of people think that the Lord just come right down on Cain. No, he wanted to correct Cain's path. He wanted him to make the right decision. Cain was so angry that God respected Abel's offering and not his own. That by the time he came to his senses, the lifeless body of his dead brother lay at his feet. So what did God do? He put a mark on Cain. This man refused to worship in truth. And he was marked. Friends, there's there's more than a similarity between the mark of Cain and the mark of the beast. Both are dealing with worship. The mark of the beast has nothing to do with a laser beam. It has nothing to do with a tattoo. It has nothing to do with a silicone chip. God's issues are not skin deep. They go all the way to the heart. And God asks you a simple question tonight. Who do you love? Who will you serve? Who will you worship? Friends, God's asking you that question right now. Now I'm going to ask the ushers. They're going to hand out a card. You've seen a couple of these now. I want you to take a look at the cards. I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision for Jesus. The Lord's asking you tonight, who will you love? Who will you follow? Will you choose the Lord or will you not choose the Lord? He wants you to make a decision for Jesus. He wants one that says, Lord, I will worship you in spirit and in truth, like that scripture says. Amen? The card starts off. Please put your name on the card. It says, number, the first box, I choose to follow the teachings of Jesus as found in the Bible. Friends, if you choose to follow the teachings of Jesus as found in the Bible, check that box. I'll slow down. It looks like we're still trying to get cards out. The second box. 
says, I choose not to worship the beast or receive the mark of the beast. If you choose to resist the beast, to not receive the mark of the beast, check the second box. The third choice, I choose to worship him who made heaven and earth by keeping the seventh day Sabbath on Saturday. If you choose to acknowledge his authority, if you choose to accept his seal on which that authority is established, check that box. And the fourth choice says, I desire to be baptized or rebaptized. Friends, search your hearts. The Lord is asking you tonight, who do you love? If you love me, he says, come to me. Turn over everything to me. Surrender to me. Accept my gift of salvation. My free gift. I will wash you clean. The Lord says, I will remake you. I will become your recreator. Think about that. Not only am I your creator, but I'm offering to be your recreator. If you choose to want to turn your life over to the Lord, if you choose to want to put the old self to death in that grave, in that watery grave, and be baptized in Christ, or if you've been baptized before, but you've wandered from the Lord, if you've wandered off the path, the Lord says, that's okay. Come to me. Come back to me. We'll start over. Then you could be rebaptized. Check that box. And finally, it says, I have questions I would like to discuss. And as always, write them on the back. Write them on the sheet. If you want it specifically answered one-on-one, write it on the card. Talk to me one-on-one. We'll set up an appointment. I'll come to see you. Some of you have already been visited. Amen? Friends, I ask you to search your hearts. Search your minds. Remember that frontal lobe where you make decisions. The Lord wants to give you his living seal so that you can resist the mark of the beast. I ask you all, please, when that Lord, when the Lord says, who will you love? Who will you follow? I beg you, choose the Lord. The gift is freely given. Now, friends, it's no accident that you're here tonight. God prompted you to be here today so that you could understand this very issue and to make decisions to honor him, to make decisions to follow him, to make a decision to accept his seal, his mark, and to refuse to accept the mark of the beast. And it's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. You didn't randomly wander in here. The Lord called you. He stirred your heart. He's asking you, come to my truth. Let's reason together. Accept my truth. Accept my gift. Accept life. Friends, it's a glorious promise. It's the only hope, the blessed hope. I ask you all tonight, was it a clear message? Did anybody learn anything new about the mark of the beast? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer. Please bow your heads. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed upon us. And thank you for all the promises that you've given us. Lord, we know your word is true. We know your promises are faithful. 
And we also know that you're patient and long-suffering. You wish none to be lost. But Lord, we also know that decisions have come. Decision time has come. We know that the world is quickly racing towards its end. And we know time is short. And we know that eventually you're going to close up this work, Lord. So I ask you, please now, send your Holy Spirit. Send your angels to these souls. Touch their hearts. Continue to open your truths to them. As they search for you. As they look for that close personal relationship. But most of all, Lord, I ask you to help them. To come to a decision to accept your seal. The only true seal. The seal of the living God. Lord, I ask you, lift them up. Strengthen them. So that they can stand tall and stand firm in that day. When the force of the mark of the beast is forced upon us all. Lord, I ask you now, please, keep us safe, keep us strong. But most of all, Lord, keep love in our hearts and keep speaking to us so that we can become better servants and better disciples for your work. We ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.